Hello, everybody, and welcome. Um, I'm going to play the intro again. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Okay, I'm going to share the the link with you there. One moment. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm just trying to to figure out how to get Chris here into the into the studio with me. It's uh, it's being very interesting and playing up with me today, which is which is always fun, always something exciting uh, on on Teachers Talk Radio when it decides it doesn't want to work for you. So let's get this in here. Uh, let's get on Teachers Talk Radio. Let's enter the show now. And I'm going to grab the link for you and send it over to you, uh, Christopher. Here we go. Um, one second. My apologies for this. Um, let's send it in a WhatsApp. Here we go. Let's get this to Christopher Graham. There we go. I've sent it to you in WhatsApp, Christopher. Let's see if it uh, acts a little nicer with us this time. Hi there, Michelle. Thanks for coming along. Uh, thanks for joining us, Michelle. We're just having uh, some interesting technical issues here. I've uh, I've invited Christopher, but Podbean was being very interesting with us before. Um, it wouldn't allow us to speak, which I think is quite rude when it comes to, to a radio show. I think it needs to allow its guests and hosts to speak. Um, I think, in fact, it's quite fundamental. Uh, so um, hopefully uh, Christopher is here. Here we go. Right. Can you hear me now? Well, I can hear you. It's a miracle. I'm on the other there link. Go. Good. Fantastic. Oh, that is lovely of you. Oh, there we go. That was uh, that was right. exciting. And you can still hear me, can you? I can still hear you. Good. Oh, look at that. That is. I'm, I have to say now. I, I know I sound a bit like an embarrassed boyfriend here, but that's never happened to me before. <laughs> to me before, yes. Well, that's what you've always said, isn't it? Exactly. Don't worry about that for now. I say every time. So there we go. All it took was an exit, a re-entry, and uh, and a quick refresh. So. Um, we, we we did have the adverts before and the news as well. Um, that's going to be on a different recording. So at the end, we'll play the adverts again. Um, but for now, a reintroduction for, for Christopher Graham. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your journey yourself. But, but Christopher is, um, I don't want to say a veteran, but an experienced on, EL, is it a, an ELT uh legend perhaps you know that's a, that's a bit nicer than veteran i think mm. um he's been in the game a while uh he's he's worked in over 30 countries he's um created materials he's helped people um with training and he also did something which had a Harry, we've lost your sound And how about now? Can you hear me I again? Can hear there you. we go. 
Look at that. It's, uh, it's all go today, isn't it? It's all go with the technological issues. Um, and what I was saying just before I went silent, um, which Michelle couldn't believe, I don't think Christopher could believe it either. I went through a bit of uh, Christopher's experience, but we will ask him about that now. Um, I did mention, however, he, he did something that inspired me massively and has had a huge impact, a positive one, uh, on, my, on my life, on my career. Uh, and that was his one of the co-founders of ELT Footprint, which um, opened my eyes and, and helped me wake up to the fact that there are others out there. Um, so... Before we get into the topic of, of how green is ELT and how green can it be, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, you said most of it. I like the word legend, actually. Um, it works. It, it works. makes me sound a bit like a Chinese restaurant, perhaps, but never mind. <laughs> um, I've been doing it a long time, certainly. Um, I suppose when I was a student, I was a member of what was then known as the Ecology Party when Jonathan Poet was running it that became the Green Party. So I've been kind of involved in... in they weren't necessarily called green issues then for a long time. And then I kind of dropped out of it and got involved in other things. And that party dissolved and became the Green Party. But but for me, there was one kind of moment about four years ago. I mean, I live in South London and a young child, I think she was about five, uh, died of, of a very severe asthma attack. And she lived on a very main road, actually, on, on very close to where my, my sons went to school. And the coroner in the inquest or inquiry said it was directly related to traffic pollution. And I thought, that's not good, is it? That's really not good. And that, that made me start thinking. And then then um, uh, Dan Barber, who I know you know, who is also one of the founders of, of, of Footprint, did, did, did a, a really inspirational speech uh, down in Barcelona um, at, uh, at a conference. And that's when everything started to come together. Um, I've always thought ELT could perhaps somehow be a force for good. Um, and maybe this is one way that it can be that. Um, so that's kind of my journey in my 35 years in ELT to, to date, really. Oh, there you go. Mm -hmm. um, so looking at uh, ELT and how green it is, um, I think we should maybe look at, it has come a long way. It's come away, that maybe not a long way. It's certainly come away from even, you know, 10 years ago. It, it's moved on certainly in terms of the materials, you know, the, the new materials are no longer, it's all doom and gloom and polar bears are dying. That's kind of, that's changed a little bit. Um, but how far have we come? Well, I mean, I suppose to find out how far we've, we've we've come we've got to um, where we might go we've got to try and figure out wh where we are what, what what's the position now and, and the complication with that i think is the dreaded echo chamber thing because um so many people like you me other people from the footprint and, and uh, across the lt community we, we're, we're in our little virtual world whether it's twitter or it's facebook or, or various conferences we go to where everybody appears to be really engaged with green issues, whether it's about reducing the footprint in their institution or their organization they work for, whether in publishing or language schools, or they're doing some really exciting stuff in their classes. And I found some amazing projects for the, the research doing for, for, for the British Council, really bottom up, low key projects, people plugging away at this. And looking at that, you think, well, we really are making progress. We've done it. We've done, we have done a lot. I don't want to be little or in, in any way take take away from the great efforts people have made. But it is 
an echo chamber. It is a group of, I hate the expression, like-minded, but I use it anyway, like-minded people, like you and I who work together and I bounce ideas off each other. But beyond that, just within ELT, there's a lot of other people out there, um, many of whom have never heard of the uh, connectivity between ELT and, and climate change and environmental issues. It's never occurred to them it's never been on their agenda whether uh, no way of knowing whether they're in the majority but there, there's, there's a whole other world out there. there there really is um i mean i've found that a lot with you know with with what i've been doing and with what i work on and and something that that really gets me is you know i'll be i'll be doing talks here there and everywhere or whatever and and you kind of have that assumption of knowledge don't you when you walk in there and and you do it as a teacher in the classroom and you know, I'll, I'll start talking about the SDGs or something like that. And somebody will say, oh, you've mentioned the SDGs a few times. What are they? And mm -hmm. it's just like, not everybody knows about the SDGs. We make assumptions. And it's something like, you know, we do as teachers, which maybe not the best thing to do. Right. Um, but we continue to do it as, as trainers because we live in this echo chamber where we, we see our peers, we see our, our, our colleagues. Often, you know, big names in ELT or whatever, but then you kind of forget that lots of other countries don't know who these big names in ELT are. You know, they're, they're not on other people's radars. They're not on, you know, everyday teachers' radars. You know, when you go into a, an ELT classroom, how many people in there will have, will have heard of, I don't know, um, I'm, I'm going to say David Crystal. I'm mm. going to say, you know, uh, Hugh Della. These... Mm these Christopher Graham of course mm. um, but then they're, they're not people that have generally been heard of so this message it does need to be kind of a constant one and gauging where we are now is really tough yeah I mean you're right the message needs to be spread but I, but I think the message needs to be spread in in terms that people can relate to I, I suppose I really want people to be angry because I was angry about that child who was was killed basically by traffic pollution, slow moving cars on the road. I, I rather I used to drive along with my kids, awful. I want people to be angry about this, uh, and so I think the message needs to be communicated. As I say, in terms of people that well, this is impacting on me or my village or my country, my town, wherever they live. I'm going to do something about this. And that, that's the challenge, making the messages accessible, not in a linguistic way or an intellectual way, but probably in an, almost in an emotional way. Mm -hmm. And people sit up and think, blimey. When I was talking to, to a bunch of, of teenagers at a project in Central Europe about 18 months ago, and they were obviously being talked into doing this green thing by their teacher, and it was a good chance to get on television, as it were. It was on Zoom. And some of them really were, oh, it's nothing to do with us. And I happened to know that they'd had some floods in that particular country fairly recently. So I asked them about that. And, oh, it's dreadful, dreadful. I said, what, did that, what caused that? Oh, it's rained. It's rained a lot. And you could almost see the cogs turning. And then when I said, yeah, my granny's house was swept away. That, that's what we've got to do. We've got to get people thinking my granny's house was swept away. We need to engage with this because otherwise there's just a risk of it's nothing to do with me. You know, you and I can bang on about it forever, but unless people think ah, this is actually a problem that impacts on me and that I can engage with in some way or other. And that's tricky. Exactly it's that. It's that localizing and personalizing of things, which it's hard to do as like a, an, inter, an international trainer because you don't know everybody's situation. So how can you, I don't know, how can you make it 
local and personal for a village in eastern Peru. You know, I, I, I can't because I don't know what's going on there. I can see what's in the news so I can make it relatable to the heat waves in India, for example, or Pakistan, or you know, in Iraq, it hit over 50 degrees the other day. These are things that I can you know, connect it to, but making it local for a teenager in, I don't know, almost anywhere other than here in Spain or, or in the UK, it's very difficult to kind of connect that. So, you know, I know that we... We can't just rely on individual action because that that's not enough. But for me, that's kind of the starting point, as it were. You know, until we're we're making those small changes individually, then we're not going to look at the local community and we're not going to look at like a, a bigger scale thing. So, you know, I, bu buying a bamboo toothbrush won't save the world. It definitely won't. It absolutely won't. But it will be that first cog in somebody's mind to get it turning to think about ways they can start but as you say they need to know why they're trying to make a difference yeah and we've also got you know we're talking from a you know a northern hemisphere wealthy society context many of many of us most of us in this debate not all but many of us are it's also having an understanding about people's priorities. I'm working on a mentoring project at the moment with, with, with a woman in, 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 in uh, Central America. One of her schools has no roof. It hasn't got a roof. You know, you can just see the sky above her. So it's priorities. Her priorities get a roof on her school. And how can like not how can you relate to that? Because you know you can hear that and you can definitely sympathise with that, but. It's impossible to empathize with something like that because we I, I imagine with you you've 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 always had a roof. Mm, exactly. But 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 equally the the irony is I suspect that the carbon footprint of her school is virtually zero because they have no electricity most of the day. They can't make handouts because they don't have anything to photocopy or indeed electricity for photocopy. So their 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 um their their carbon outputs are virtually zero. Well, um, well that's it, isn't it? It's you know we often talk about and it is the the highly climate affected areas that tend to be those that have the the smallest effect by quite a considerable amount. Um, you know, in you know, a tiny carbon output, and and they don't use single use plastics very often because they don't have access to them. Mm. Um, and on that uh, single use plastic side of things, I, I work very closely with with a, a charity called called Kids Against Plastic. And they have plastic clever schools, um, and this is you know one of those great starting points I, I've seen. You know, one of those early places to get it into the classroom to get students looking at the plastics that they're using, learning about where plastics come from and, you know, the carbon footprint of plastic. I, I did an activity at my daughter's school the other day and learning that recycling isn't an answer. And it's a great starting point. And they have this thing where, where the, the students do an audit of the different plastics there are in the school. And there's something that I hadn't even thought of that, that popped up on Twitter this week, actually. And that's glue sticks. Now, <laughs> number one, Glue sticks are probably one of the most common things kids in yeah, primary, primary schools, schools have. Schools have them, like, don't they? Absolutely everyone, and they they always run out, right? And that's something that they always they finish with the glue stick, they throw it away, they get a new one. Um, there's a few things I have with glue sticks. Number one is that that throwing away thing. 
Uh, number two is why are you printing something out to then stick it in a book and thus using double the amount of paper as well? But I, I was so like delighted to see something here. And now I like when teachers make the example for their students. They lead by example. And I found um, I, I was having a look at glue sticks uh, and there's a thing called Nexus, nexusplaylearn.com it's called. Um, and what they do is they give you refillable glue sticks. Now so I know again, it, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a great starting point. I know it's, it's not the bamboo toothbrush thing because it's a huge amount. They come in, they refill. They also do refillable board markers. Mm. That's another thing that they just get chucked away, don't they? Yeah. Exactly. They just get thrown away and it's piles and piles of plastic. And it's these small changes that schools can make um, and they can go out and they can find these things. And it really blew my mind, this idea of a refillable glue stick, because it's something so simple, but I've never seen it before. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are a lot. I'm, I'm not going to call them small things, though they probably are small things. But because of the scale of ELT, they accumulate the number of students around the world learning English, blah, blah, blah. They accumulate. But and these are excellent projects, don't misunderstand me. But we are still scrabbling around a bit, I think, in the foothills of this, this, this mountain that's got to be done. I mean, absolutely right. If we, if we can more or less eliminate single-use plastic from schools, if we can stop the handouts, um, that's going to make an impact if we can, you know, have electricity monitors, energy monitors in the primary schools. So, so a child is responsible for making sure the lights are off, the air conditioning is off, the heating's off, whatever it is at the end of it. That's brilliant. Of course, it's good. But there were bigger fights, I think. And, and, and what I'm worried about is that we're maybe avoiding some of the bigger fights and because it's so nice to hear the project it's a wonderful story about that glue sticks and the stories that i've found uh, around the world in what projects people doing really exciting things distract us that that's what really worries me from from the massive elephants that are pounding around the room i mean well okay let, 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 let's look at this primary school what wonderful things fantastic but that elephant is still getting bigger uh, it's an enormous elephant, isn't it? And I think yeah. it's, it's it's pink as well now. Like that's how obvious it is in the room. There are um, there are so many things that that need to be done. I, you know, don't get me wrong. These small actions, it's good that they're being done. Of it's, course, it's Absolutely. sad that they're being done now rather than thirty years ago. You know, it's you know they are definitely good things. But yeah, it is. You know, we need large scale policy change you know we need um we need to look deeper into well all aspects of elt really um we need, we need to systemic change i mean really big changes and those are going to require some really difficult grown-up conversations and i don't think those conversations are happening they're, they're not the problem also is with these grown-up conversations a lot of them are happening but they're coming from people who aren't yet grown up you know, they're coming from our students, they're, they're coming 14. from our children. Yeah, they're coming from 14, 15, 16 year olds who are, are speaking all the sense in the world. You know, they, they've seen the science, they've read the science, they know what needs to be done. They're asking for it to be done, but nobody's listening because they're only 15. So we can kind of just ignore them. You know, we'll just we'll put them all in this kind of Greta shaped box and say that they're all just shouting yep. from their from their soapboxes to better their own social media. And we'll just ignore that conversation and, and we'll move back on to ours because we're more important. And that's the sad thing is that when these people are old enough to be decision makers, 
it will be too late. Exactly. Yeah, and that and that's the pro- that that's the problem. And we, well, I mean, humankind has always been very good at dodging dodging the big questions and papering over the cracks and sort of soldiering on and pretending it's not all going on, going on behind you. But I think in ELT, we, we, we've got to have some big decisions and a, bit, a lot of people are going to get very upset by some of these big decisions about jobs and economic consequences. And we have choices, I suppose, and we're going to have to make some. But somehow we've got we've got to start sitting down around the table. I was going to say in a smoke-filled room, but you know what I mean. And say, right, <laughs> What are we going to do about this? Because, as you say, we are beginning to run. Well, we are running out of time. Yeah, um, and they, like you say, they. It's the economic side of things that, mm. I, at the end of the, it's the same with everything. You know, it's, it, be it within ELT, be it within the world at whole. Mm. It's the the financial side of things that are holding us back. It's going to cost money. Um, things are going to have to change. You know, you know, we look at completely unrelated but you look at gun laws in in the u.s we know why they're being held back they're being held back because of lobbyists because of the nra having such a financial influence on the government you know we know that it's the same with fossil fuels you know that's why we're still digging for oil we're still going out for a nice frack every now and again Mm -hmm. rather than investing that money in in you know renewable energy and again, on a on our level, on our scale, with our interest, it's it's happening within ELT. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, it is. I mean, there are those. You say there's a pink. I think there's several elephants in the room. Actually, I mean, I'm splitting elephants. I don't know, but um, you know, I, let's look at study abroad. There's one. There's an elephant in the room, um, and things that I have said and probably I'm about to say will upset a lot of people. And I mean, I, I, I'll take the UK context because I know the UK and I live here and I, I've worked in summer schools myself many, many years ago. Uh, you know, it's a lot of flights. I mean, I don't want to deny, I really don't anyone the opportunity to to study in another country. What an opportunity. I mean, I did it. You know, it, wonderful, fantastic. I really don't. But this is when we start to have to the grown-up conversation because they are flight heavy study abroad is a flight heavy activity um i mean having said that maybe a a a teenager who comes over for for three weeks in bournemouth in the summer that's their holiday they do one flight a year well maybe that's that that maybe that's okay Mm -hmm. i don't know but as a whole the volume of, of of air traffic is huge but uk summer schools have had a dreadful few years covid brexit all the other stuff and then a smart addict like me comes along and says, well, by the way, you shouldn't be doing this or you should not accepting students for less than six weeks because then they mean to get the flight or you should be making sure everyone comes by train, which is more expensive and not always possible. And of course, in other parts of the world, there are no trains because there are Australia springs to mind. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, I, I don't know the answers to any of this, but I think we need to, these conversations are not really happening. I mean, some people within... It, ELT in the UK are are having these conversations, but ultimately, of course, they have a financial interest, and I, I, you know, and I don't want anyone's school to close. I don't want anyone to lose their jobs or something horrible happen to their house that they've guaranteed their loan on. Or I really don't want that to happen. But <laughs> yeah, I think one of the the things that made me the most sad in terms of air traffic was, you know, after after COVID and, and flights were back on. There were flights that were going with four or five people on and they would continue to go and you know they would go to and from and, and they weren't cancelling these flights mm. so 
it kind of got me to this point of, you know, if if we if they're going to send the flights anyway, you know, why 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 would you not fly? Because the flights are going to go anyway, and they're going to cause as much damage to the environment. So it kind of that whole thing removed the incentive to not mm. fly. I mean, mm. I took a I took a flight. My my sister got very ill last year. Um, she, she's much better now, Good. but you know, we, we were like, let's go and see her of and, course. You know, with, with a, with a family of, with a family of three, it's not particularly easy to, to jump on a train. And there were, there were 16 euro return flights to Wales from, from Portugal. Uh, and I just thought that's not okay. And we got, we got the flights, we got on them and there were 16 people on the flight and it was awful and i was just sitting there saying this shouldn't be happening this flight should be cancelled they have to keep their slots don't they if they don't fly they don't keep the slots i mean uh, during during covid times there were empty aircraft flying around just 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 to operate to keep the slots. that's absurd but that that's a governmental thing surely that's not it can't be that complicated to say if you don't in terms of times of crisis you don't use your slot for a year you get it when you're ready or when you i don't know but or if the flight isn't man. booked, you don't you keep your slot, but yeah. don't worry, you're not going to lose your slot, but you're not going to be affecting the environment. So good mm. job, thumbs up mm. to you. I don't know. That's Give not the thinking. Of the, that's not the thinking. But I mean, I mean, for me, uh, talking, having talked about the rest of the world, talking about the European context, we we do have, as you know, increasingly better train services. Uh, for much of Europe, you can get to the UK relatively easily. Um, particularly there's more overnight trains now coming. Um, they're too expensive. Why isn't ELT lobbying government and lobbying the train operators for at least cheaper fares for under 30s or under 26? I mean, I know there are cheaper fares for under 26, but I mean, not necessarily 16 euros, but something that will make people think, oh, that's fair enough, I'll take that. The flight 16, the train 30, I'll take the train, fair enough, or something like that. Exactly. Why is that lobbying not going on? Because I, that does seem a relatively easy fix. Not a fix, but it's something that we can do that maintains the ELT community in the UK, but also reduces flights. I understand you can't always get a train. I know that, but, but you can very often. Yeah, and certainly if prices were reduced, if there were more subsidies within like rail companies, mm. then there would certainly be, there would be more trains. The prices would reduce, customers would increase. Um, and I know the trains in Spain are amazing. They're absolutely mm. incredible. But, you know, to look, I, I worked in Barcelona for a while and mm. I live in Seville, which is 1,011 kilometers away. Um, mm. And it was 30 euros for a return flight, which took 40 minutes each way. Or it was about 300 euros for the train, which took six hours each way. And it's, it's just absurd. It's not okay. I took the train a few times and the other times I, I drove. Um, mm -hmm. It was a 10 hour drive and I made sure I had the car filled with people. Mm -hmm. um, I did carpooling, which was, mm -hmm. which was great fun. I got to meet lots of people and speak lots of Spanish. Um, but it, it certainly wasn't healthy to be driving from Barcelona on Friday afternoon not to get fun. here for the early hours of Saturday mm -hmm. morning and then leaving Sunday night to drive back to be at it's work madness, on Monday morning. Madness. No, I mean, but, uh, and I think we as a community need to be lobbying for cheaper trains or student rates. I don't know something, uh, as you say, it's absurd that the airlines are able to operate a flight for 16 euros from Portugal to, to the UK. It's bonkers, absolute madness. And, and, and I think, you know, 
by doing that, we, we, we can help to preserve study abroad. I mean, I know there are not trains, as I say, if you're running a study abroad institution in Australia, well, it's an island, there's not much you can do. You can't necessarily go by sea. Um, and from obviously outside of the US and within, you know, from, from South America up to, to North America, you can't get trains. I don't know if there even is one. It's not practical. So there is always going to be some flying, but I do think we also need to be thinking about more provision of the equivalent of study abroad in the home countries. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a tricky one, but I don't want to get into kind of academic benefits of study abroad, but we, perhaps we need to say, actually, this person probably won't benefit much from this compared to what they could get down the road in the language school or institutional or university summer school in the home country. Maybe we need to be a bit more discriminating when we make these decisions. Yeah. And I know study board operators do not want to hear this, and I fully understand that. But, you know, what do you do, as they say? People yeah. who sell sports cars are not delighted by the fact that, that, that going electric cars in, in the UK over many years' time, you know, these are just things we have to adapt to. They, and we absolutely have to adapt to them. Um, now, you've got a new book out. I have, yeah. Um, congratulations. Thank you. I haven't read it yet. Um, sorry. Well, I will read it. I'll, I'll buy it first and then I'll read yeah, it. Yeah, it's easy. Um, <laughs> but um, could you tell us something about your book? Well, the idea was um, I work with Wage Goods Press in, in the US with Dorothy Zemak. And um, the idea was to make a book that was A, affordable for teachers. There the, the, the are hard copies, but basically it's, it's an ebook. And it's called 50 Ways to Be a Greener Teacher. And it's looking at, if you like, the continuum of language teaching. At one end, we've got the operational side, the school side. And the other side, we've got the academic side. And I've looked at the various functions on the operating side and said, what can we do to reduce the footprint of the school? We can look at uh, bike sharing schemes, you know, putting, putting a bike rack outside. Uh, to, to reduce people coming by, by, by vehicles, by, by car. We can look, we can get the school to ask questions. Their energy supplier, where, how do they generate the, is, is it sustainable? How, what generates the electricity? These kinds of things. But at the other end, most of the book is about what we can do in class. In class or around class. Yeah. And uh, I've come up with things like green cultural events. There's a lot of green tinged movies around for all ages mm -hmm. and a lot of music as well these kinds of things so if you're having a film night which so many private languages have a film night well let, let's make it a green film festival does the, these kinds of things because i think across the whole community we need to make green the default we need to attack it from lots and lots of different angles and culture is one way of doing it Switching off the lights is another way of doing it. Riding a bike to school instead of coming in your car is another way of doing it. So the book's designed to give to empower teachers and give teachers ideas to put into practice in, in their institutions. But again, a lot of it and the things that teachers can do are limited because of the mm -hmm. way that ELT is structured. You know, that a teacher can probably perhaps persuade the the school management to change energy supply that might be possible or to put a, get a bike rack outside or to 
Um, buy some plants. Put a garden, buy some plants, put a garden outside the school for the primary kids to do, to do some growing stuff. They can persuade you to do that. But the big the big elephants, no. Well, yeah, that's not going to be on a, on a small academy level, is it? That's uh, like Even the big academies have, have a trouble with that. They have to... The big language schools, they, they have to get together, they have to club together, and it has to be, you know, large scale change. Um, and then, so we've we've looked a bit about in the classroom. We've talked about um, these ideas that, that you have that you've suggested there. Um, something I often talk about as well, like getting a plant in the classroom and mm. the, these re, refillable glue sticks, which are, are great things to do on that okay. on that kind of lower scale. I, I absolutely love that as well. Seeing like the change within our students as well and, and empowering our students to become change makers and find their voice to, to try and make a difference. These are things that are so important um, mm. for them to be making as much noise as possible. Um, and I wish that they were heard a lot more. Like I, as an adult, now listen to them more. But yeah, absolutely. Who else does? That's an interesting thing because I think it's almost a di maybe it's almost an ideological decision that teachers need to make when they're talking about green topics in the school. Do you just talk about it, or do you say, "I happen to know there's a climate march next week. Should we go? Or are you going to go on it? Should we make some banners in English? Or whatever." That that's a big jump from being, I think, from being an EFL teacher to being someone who is encouraging activism, and. Some schools I know would be very, very jumpy about that. There are teachers I know who do it. In the UK, quite a lot of teachers do it, in the, in, particularly in the FE sector, the further education sector. They, they are saying, come on, let, let's, let, let, we're going to go on this march. But I say that it's, all, I say it's almost an ideological decision a teacher has to make. Is that my job to encourage that kind of activism? I, I would say it probably is. Um, I would say it definitely is. But again, is that our ideological standpoint? It is. And also it depends on the local culture. It depends where you live. There maybe countries where, where going on demonstrations on the street will get you in a lot of trouble. And I'm not suggesting that we necessarily do that necessarily. Um, but that, that, that getting, empowering teenagers and young learners and giving them a voice. Yeah. Maybe that is something that we need to do and say, okay, let's let's make some banners and let's make them in English. Have a bit of fun. Go on, let's go out. And, even though we're in Germany, let's put the banners in English. Why not? And I'll come with you. I've absolutely <laughs> done that class. So okay, I'm we not are. even joking. We did it. Um, I did it with my seven and eight-year-olds um, mm. before the climate strike last year. Um, we made our banners. We invented some um, chants and we did it around first around the classroom. Yep. Then we did it in the village square, and then we went to, to the centre of Seville. Um, I obviously got permission from all the parents. Uh, they You've got to always... go through due process, of course, with young learners. But yeah. but yeah, there may be some, I don't know, and you're going to, there may be some parents in certain groups say, I don't want my child to do that. I don't want the school. There may be school directors say, don't we? I'm not having that. But yeah, I And think th there is your ideological decision, and what do you do? Um, yeah. But, but I, I think that really is a... That's almost the sort of pinnacle of inter of integrating ELT into uh, climate change in, into ELT is, is getting out on the streets. That's basically or the blogging or posting. Yeah, it is absolutely <laughs> that 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 that's the, the end result. But I say in many contexts, it's just not possible. I, no. I get that. 
Um, and to reach that, there are so many steps. Absolutely. Like, it can't just be like, so Renewable English, we, we've done two series so far. The next one's going to be called Cultivating Changemakers. And it is hopefully that, that kind of, mm. not even the final step, but, you know, the first series was all about individual actions. The next one was about the SDGs and stuff. Mm. And so the next one is going to be taking those steps towards the final steps to get out on the street. Mm. Um, uh, interesting. So hopefully, um, so I've got a few actual change makers involved in it. Um, some, some young change, because I don't know when it happened, but activist is no longer activist. I think it's the negative connotations. It's become change maker now. Mm. Um, I don't know when that happened. I probably yeah, it's, it's it's quite nuanced, isn't it? But as you said, a lot of languages, activist is someone who's trying to overthrow the government, which may not be a bad idea depending where you live. <laughs> but but it can get you in a lot of trouble. Um, but what I, what I did a bit about this in the book. One thing I said was, from the beginning, get all the stakeholders involved. If you can get them involved from the beginning, you can identify. You know, parents might be a bit. Well, I'm not sure about that. Get them involved from the beginning. This is what we're planning to do. And might you you might want to come on the march too. Come on, you've got a hybrid car. You you're in on you're on you're on our side, kind of thing. You do your recycling. Yeah, you do the, <laughs> this is just part of it. And and I think the more you get all the stakeholders, including possibly governmental or local ministry of education, the head teacher, and the community involved from the beginning, it's easier. Because yeah. people get acclimatized to the thing, okay, this will be I can see what he's trying to do now. Let, let's work on this. Yeah, it's some, I've been really lucky with that in my in my village. It's not a huge village. I think there's 8,000 people live here. Um, but we've now got a mural on the wall, which is all about the environment. We went on our first climate, like proper organized climate march a few weeks back with, it's called Valencina Sostenible, which means sustainable Valencina, a okay. genius name. Um, but like, I, when I was talking to my wife about it, I was like, oh, we've got the march tomorrow. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be terrible. There's going to be four people there. About 300 people turned up. It is amazing when you actually put it out in front of people. Oh, I'll come on that. I'll support you. Which Hence my going back to saying get all the state, stakeholders in the school and in the community around the school involved in the beginning. And be amazed, people, you may find, you know, one of the mums runs a print shop. I can, I can, I can do some, some nice banners. Don't worry. Tell me what you want. All, all this sort of stuff. And then suddenly it, it, it becomes a an institution-wide engagement. And that's yeah. a magic moment when that happens because you've got everyone involved. It uh, really and is. And you're less likely, to get, less likely to get objections as well. It, it's brilliant. And I can see as well with my daughter's school, like this year in particular, um, they've got their own garden and they're actually using it and the kids are going down and you know I'm going along to do classes with them in the garden and, and we're doing all these these different things. And I said, we did this activity about plastic um, and we're going to try to get them to be a plastic clever school next year. Mm. So you can see that, like, again, on this small scale, there are these changes happening um, and you can see there's a desire for this larger mm. change. Um, so I'd like to talk now mm. about materials and kind of link to that publishers. Um, so materials are changing like the times they are a changing mm. too as is the climate. Um, the materials are changing. Materials writers like yourself, like myself, like many others, mm. are realising it can't just be all doom and gloom here. And then we've got the publishers. Mm. Now, 
I say this carefully because I do still need to pay my mortgage. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I have to be careful too. <laughs> um, the publishers are realising that things need to change. Um, are they realising it 100% altruistically to save the planet? I'm not 100% sure. Is it in some way due to the fact that they have to change because everything is changing and people are being more green so they need to be at least seen to be green what do you think well i think i mean the first thing to say that the publishers i suppose within global elt are probably the most powerful stakeholders um other than governments in in certain countries uh, ministries of education above and beyond that publishers are huge hugely influential because they really do affect what we teach you know because most schools will be using material produced you know, that's put in front of them basically and then that's entirely sensible and I said, i'm a great fan of course books. i love course books wonderful things um but yes i think in some cases they're under pressure um particularly those that are floating on the stock exchange or, or publicly that they have to be fairly transparent about what they do and they have got shareholders saying come on you need to do this this and this um it's not altruistic. It's 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 part of the CSR. It's part of public relations. But if 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 it makes them change, I don't care why they do it necessarily. Um, but it's an interesting question about course book content. Is I mean, as you've always said, traditionally there used to be one one chapter, or one unit, or something on the environment. So basically, you did the environment once a year and they forgot so about many it for the size other by the students yes, as well it was always, it was always like boring, oh, unit, not, not, not that thing again but they could for, safely forget about it for another year until it came back in level three or whatever it was um that's gone i think we're beginning to see more things whether it's sdgs whatever is being integrated across course books i think that's excellent i think the next step is where we need to see um course books stories or articles not being about environmental topics, but having an environmental default. I always take the example of, you know, the classic sort of, you know, kind of maybe primary course where the family are planning a holiday. And the conversation is just skewed away from flying. It's that kind of thing. It's, it's not about, it's, it's not a dialogue about, the, it's just saying, well, we could get a train, couldn't we? Or maybe we could go to that nice resort down the road um stay at home these kinds of things which are not big i think that's going to be the next step i think we get we're getting a lot of stuff about the environment which which i commend it's laudable and as i say sdgs are being integrated and we now have course books where there's, where there's an sdg in each unit or each chapter fantastic but the next thing is to change the default of almost every text listening text reading text whatever it is even grammatical examples to give it a green twist yeah which is more editorial than anything. And I hope that will happen. And then the third question is, and I, and I went to a talk that James Taylor did at ITEFL, um, is to what extent are publishers prepared to go further and, and basically start pointing fingers, mm -hmm. where you'll have a text saying, actually, if these big oil and gas companies didn't do this, we wouldn't be in this problem in the first place. Exactly. Now, I don't know how far they're prepared to go or whether how far their lawyers are prepared to let them go um but that's a little bit like getting the kids to go out on a march it's changing it from 
a book for learning English to a book to create change makers, as you, as you call them, activists. What do you want to call people? And I have a feeling a lot of publishers, I mean, that publishers are naturally cautious. And having worked with a lot of publishers, I understand their caution. They, they, mm -hmm. they need to sell as many books as they can in as many countries as possible. So you've got to be able to offend as few people as possible. So I get this, but is that going to happen? Are we going to get, and I'm talking about the big, I mean, small publishers are beginning to do it. Small publishers are fantastic, but they simply don't have the clout. They don't exactly. have it's they don't have the reach of the big five or six publishers who are active pretty much everywhere. Are they prepared to have an anti-hydrocarbon text? I'm not suggesting they start naming companies or they will get sued. I get that. Um, I, and I don't about know. The damage. Yeah. Point, um, point some, some and fingers kind of uh, at entities or types of entities rather than individual ones. I think that might be the next step, but then we will get, as I said, it's it's the same as as, 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 as as going on a march with some primary students, in a sense. It's changing the whole default from being a language, a purely language teaching enterprise or book or course, or whatever, to something that is actually saying to people, you need to be a bit angry about this. Look at the profit these people are making. Exactly that. Now, one thing I'd like to see change in, in course books um, and something I've, I've proposed to um, publishers is, you know, the end of the unit, there's always that extra lesson. And it's, you know, sometimes it's culture, sometimes it's yeah. real English, you know, something like that, where we get to see that uh, Halloween people dress up and, and scare each other or yeah. St. Patrick's Which Day. Which we is, knew anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or... The, the classic one is in the sports one where it's weird sports. And yet again, we learn about extreme ironing and yep. cheese rolling. Yep. You know, and we have this, this unit, this lesson at the end of the book, and it's, it's often clill based. Now, what I want to see there is well, it's basically one of the main reasons I started renewable English is why don't we have that, that page, that unit as our, let's look at the environment or, mm. How does this affect the planet? And so after your sport unit, you look at how sport mm. has an impact on the planet and you look at mm. how an impact that sport has, uh, that the that climate has on sport. Mm. And after the fashion unit, when everyone's learned jeans and they've learned this and they've learned that, they look at the damage caused mm. by fast fashion and, you know, Absolutely, yeah. think of ways to get around it. So uh, it's to me, it's it's a super easy way to, to kind of, Get that involved because you don't need to change the whole content of the book. They're tweaks. Then. It's not much more editorial tweaks. But but what I'm also interested in in course books and we'll start is the whole idea of intersectionality. You know the way that we go back to fashion. Yes, the there is a huge environment environmental impact of of, of fast fashion. There's the flying. There's the kind of dyes that are used. But there's also a great issue about gender because most of the the the, the people who are so poorly paid in what they call sweatshops are going to be female, uneducated yep. females, unfortunately. So you get you come to, to education for women and girls, a spin around that. You come around the whole issues are, 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 are around equity uh, and global poverty. Uh, the way multinationals work, it, it, th there is massive intersectionality between so many of these the, these global issues. And maybe that's actually, if people understand that intersectionality, maybe they will get even a little bit angry about climate. They think, oh, I didn't actually think, blimey, I see what you mean now. 
you know, the fact that 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 that, that droughts in 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 the global south, in sub-Saharan Africa, particularly, impact on females a lot more than on males because they tend to be the people who have to get the water. Yeah. And if there's no water, they've got to walk further to get the water. It hits the women, and if they can no longer go to school because you know all it accumulates. And these kinds of things might actually, again, I mean, I do really want people to be angry, reasonably angry, um, because, and, and I think this might do it, showing that everything is kind of, there is a causality and there's, yeah. there's a connectivity between all these things. And I'd like to see that in course books. I mean, maybe it is in some, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on the newest course books coming out, um, but I think that's a good way of presenting it. And, you know, glo glo global issues are becoming a thing now in course books, and of course, climate is one of them. And showing this connectivity, I think, is tremendously important. Yeah, I think um, for me, you mentioned the course books that have an SDG mm. per unit yeah. or whatever. Mm. Um, I think there is an opportunity that's being missed, to be honest, because when you look at the food unit and you say, in this unit, we're looking at good health and well-being, mm. and you're looking at food. And you're only looking at good health and well-being. I'm sorry, but when you look at food, that's literally every single one of the SDGs is affected because of food. Like Absolutely. just putting it on that, like I think there's a a, a big section that is being missed in that mm. case, and it feels a bit a bit like tokenism. Mm. You know, they're like, right, we need to show that we're doing something, so let's put an SDG here for food. Yes, good health and well-being. Um, yeah, that's equality, not really no the poverty, challenge, no is it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, you're right, and 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 that's where I think the um, you know, the intersectionality comes in. As as you say, you know, the people who produce food are, are likely to be largely female. They have been the food chain is interrupted very much by by the impact of climate because by the too much water, not enough water, and so the story goes on. The fact that we don't buy local food, we we have our you know artichokes flown in from Peru or somewhere. Um, you probably get your strawberries jokes. from down the road from me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, whereas we live ten miles from Kent. You know, <laughs> I'd rather pick and pick my own if my knee wasn't hurting. Um, but these kinds of things, I think, I, I and I think students would respond very po positively. I don't mean that they're going to like it, but they think this is this is real. Yeah, uh, and I think publishers are missing a trick. I mean, I, I even, so I've mentioned a few times I went into my daughter's school the other day and I was in a class of second grade. So that's year three in England. Mm. Um, and we were talking about plastics and they obviously didn't know a great deal about it. They didn't know that different mm. plastics couldn't be recycled and stuff. Um, and, you know, we were coming up with ideas and, and one of the, the boys said to me, well, when I go to the supermarket, I can tell my mum not to buy the bananas that are wrapped in plastic. Now, this is coming from a you know a, a seven year old boy and he's coming out with this and um and at the end of it I, I showed everybody I, I brought all of my my about a month and a half I've been saving up my 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 rubbish so I could mm. do the activity with them uh, and I, I held up this box um that I, that I collected it all in and I said where do you think I got this box and they looked and they were like you got that from the supermarket and I said yes because if you forget your reusable bag, you don't have to buy a plastic bag. What you can do is ask for a box because they have hundreds of boxes. They're glad to get rid of them. Probably. Exactly. And, and I think of this and it may, this is one of the things that makes me super angry, like outside of ELT, just in the world in general, that the supermarkets continue selling these plastic bags when they quite easily could bring in a box. And 
And even a seven-year-old child can see that they don't need to have the bag. Um, a warehouse full of boxes, probably. Yeah. Exactly. And they're like, we recycle all of our boxes. Why? Just give them to people. Give them they can recycle yeah. them. Um, so, yeah, that was something that, that really struck me the other day, that when you do present the, your students with these ideas, they change. They make these changes okay. almost immediately. And, you know, if you're showing this to seven-year-olds, but then up to, like, the teenagers... And I heard recently that the, the most influential people in the world at the moment are uh, teenage girls. You know, they have the, the most influential voices. So if we can change the opinions of, of teenage girls across the globe, then we can change a lot of things. Yeah, and, and, and we can. But we need... Teachers can't do it on their own. They need the support of particularly publishers because they obviously provide the materials and um but you know I, I, it's easy to present publishers as the bad guys and a lot of people say well and i think that's very unreasonable i mean so the, the, the kind of projects i've done recently some of the most innovative thinkers about climate and and, and the, the kind of intersection between climate and language teaching work for publishers absolutely i mean people who are saying and they they are fighting hard to get change they're organising internally, sort of fifth columns within the publishers, trying to say, we are going to get this through, we're going to do this. There's a lot of really committed people, and you, we're beginning to see the results, I think. There is change, but we've got to keep the pressure on, uh, like we have it, it, on, on all the fronts, basically. But I, I think that will get there. But And also, they are getting a lot better, I think, at the, the, the way that they package books. Um we don't necessarily want the shiny covers or the perspex wrapping and all that stuff anymore. And they are, even though they outsource the printing, they, from what I understand, there's quite a lot of care about the way the dyes are disposed of and these kinds of things. That's particularly large publishers because they they they're they're in the public public view basically. Um, so I, th I think things are getting better on that side as well. You make a fantastic point there um, because. You know, we are in our, our echo chamber, we're in our bubble. And and I look at some of the materials that have been created for for various publishers. Um, and quite often they're kind of side projects. One of them I worked on, Speak Out for Sustainability, was like mm. a side project. And, um, and the Climate Connection, which is absolutely brilliant, by the way, um, absolutely brilliant. Some of the, the most incredible materials are being created and delivered to teachers across the world. Um, and they're being delivered in a way that these teachers can access these materials. Um, you know, they're not all necessarily 100 percent dependent on a strong Internet connection. And, mm. and, and as you say, there are there are these people who are, you know, they're, they're climate activists, they're, they're change makers, they're whatever you want to call them. Mm. Um and and they're working for for big publishers mm. because that's how voices can be heard. That's how change can be made. Absolutely. And what what they we are also striving to do is make change within these publishers. You know, um, and I think the the areas we we can't really have a huge effect on, but would be nice to, um, are the kind of internal, perhaps the financial side of things. Um, these are things that I, you know, I'm maybe not particularly proud of within the some of the the publishers that, that I've worked for. That I, you know, I don't know where they're investing their money. I don't know where they're banking. Um, 
And to be honest, if I asked, there aren't many people that could tell me um, mm. because they're so widespread. So you have these people who are absolutely dedicated to, mm. to their job, to helping, to making a difference and creating wonderful materials. And then you have somebody up in a boardroom who's making a partnership with Shell. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it's an issue. And the pension funds is a big one. You know, most of the, well, certainly in the UK, most of the pension funds in the UK will have investments in hydrocarbon and cigarettes and weapons while you're at it. Um, but that's how you make your money. That's how you make your money. But but again, that's changing. Some some organisations have made a, a big clear statement and they're pulling out of those kinds of things. There are ethical investment funds. But yes, uh, transparency would be good. Yeah. Certainly would be good. And, and I think it's just another front to push on. And there's, you know, in all these so many di directions to go in. Um, but the publishers become increasingly onside. And of course, they do have also the financial ability to do things. Um, yeah. They have they have a lot of reach because of that. They can produce these blockbuster courses that are genuinely global. Um, and, and, and I think they're a bit cautious about climate significantly. Um, I was in an event recently, and I met—I uh, can't say it was—I I, I was met a British diplomat there, and, I, and she, we had a long conversation. She said to me, uh, and I said, "Well, the problem that some of the publishers feel is that that the Middle East, in particular, because of hydrocarbon economies, they can't talk about." She said, "That's complete nonsense." She said, "The Saudi Arabian government is spending a great deal of money on sustainability and renewables at the moment." She said, "It's a hot topic." And she said, "Come on," she said, "You got the next cop is in Egypt. The one after that is Abu Dhabi." It's shifting up the agenda. They're absolutely missing a trick there. So the young people are, despite the fact they are hydrocarbon economies, which they still are, and you know petrol is very cheap, blah blah blah, etc. They are doing a lot. Well, yeah, you've just got to look at um, over in in um, Abu Dhabi and in Dubai. They've both got green cities. One of them yeah, is Mazda City, which is you know in, it's the greenest city there is. You know they're. It seems they're preparing for the future. Yeah, um, and they've yes. got the readiest to pay for it, of course. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, they've got, uh, you know, 100,000 people living and working in this city mm. that doesn't have cars, but it has, you know, electric transport to get everybody, has trams and whatnot, you know. And you don't see these cities in the UK who no. frequently profess Absolutely to be not. the greatest Absolutely renewable country well, on the planet. Absolutely not, no. A wind farm in the North Sea. And publishers saying, well, we can't put that in a book going to the Middle East. I think they're definitely missing a trick. Actually, people are really engaged. So, again, I think it's, it, 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 it's also working with publishers saying, like, yeah, look at this, consider this, you know, speak speak to schools, speak to universities, speak to ministries, look, look at government statements the government is making statements about the green economy well there we are it seems perfectly sensible that's something that should be discussed in in english language classes so well, exactly yeah. you'd be you'd be easier it'd be easier for you to push a book that talks about a green economy in saudi arabia than it would to talk about pride month that's for yeah. sure that's a tricky one it's gonna be a while till we get there i think but yeah, you never know quite a long way <laughs> I think we'll get there one day, um, yes. hopefully uh, in my in my living uh, memory. Um, so I'm just going to we're going to shoot off for a couple of minutes. OK, um, if you hang around with us, that will I be will wonderful. be here. Yes, I try not um, to get disconnected. So. I'm going to I'm going to put myself on mute uh, and we'll be back in about two minutes. Okay. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, 
the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. SteveWoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit SteveWoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to 1360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chickwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at withaslackgroup.co.uk for more information. Thank you for sticking around there. Um, yeah, so we're into our last 15 minutes. So I've got some slight, something slightly more profound I'd like to ask you now. Um, oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> if a tree, no, um, I'm not going to ask if a tree falls in the woods because that happens far too often. Yes. Um, so, what is your uh, ideal world situation? How quickly do you think things can change, and how much will they change? Well, I'm an optimist with paranoia, and so I'm constantly held back by by feeling positive. I think the change will actually come from national governments around the world who are increasingly, and even in the UK now, um, putting climate into their national curricula. 
mm-hmm. whether that's into ELT or into, into geography or physics, whatever, that will be the really big change. Because that is where climate change education, and at this point, I don't care whether it's in English or whether it's in Japanese or whether it's in, I don't really care, where climate change education is going to become the norm, which probably means it will also seep into into school ELT. Yeah. That, that I think, is what, what's going to happen. And well, it is happening. I mean, I say it's, it's, it's even happened in the UK now. It, it, it's going into the national curriculum. Um because those are the big volumes of students, our state school students. Yeah, they're they're the big numbers. It's not it's not private language schools. They're, they're minuscule compared to state schools in India or China or Indonesia, with the big population countries. And it, it's uh, the responsibility, therefore, of governments to get that into schools and of other governments and international organisations to lobby those governments to met, to get them to do it. Basically, I think that's what matters. I think it's it's brilliant and um, something that I thought was going to be huge for me here in, in Spain, to be honest, and I was quite excited about it, was at the start of this school year, they have the, the educational law and it's called the LOM LOE. Mm-hmm. And within the, the educational law, there were two paragraphs in there, two new sections about teaching sustainability and students having to have this knowledge of sustainability at the end of the year. But it was all very kind of, they have to have it. But it wasn't how they had to get it. Yeah, what are we going to do? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, for me, I was like, this is brilliant. You know, this is this is wonderful news. And, you know, I called up all of the schools in the area, not the state schools first. First, I called up the private schools because they're the ones who can, you know, have an implement instant change. And there was like remarkably small amount of interest like to to do anything about it and and I was asking what they were doing and this first year it appears you know teachers are too overwhelmed because of covid and this and that and the other so almost nothing's happened um and I spent about a week trying to get hold of the the local uh the governmental delegation it's called mm-hmm. it's called delegation oh, well, yeah, in yeah, spanish yeah. um the the, the office mm. I, i'm struggling for the word in english but um the educational mm. ministry within within um first within seville and then i was hoping to get to andalusia and to actually get hold of somebody and get a meeting with them it was the most difficult thing i spent three hours on hold one day to get through to the office to speak to the assistant who said okay i'll put you through now cut off disconnected disconnected um and and it took i had to go down to the the government office which is you know on the other side of town i'm about 45 minutes from here uh to go in there to speak to them to be able to get a meeting with the 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 delegate um Mm. with the, the person in charge and that was organized and that was you know supposed to be that was supposed to be done in july um we recently had an election here the delegate has changed. Start again. All over again. So, and that, I, I honestly started that process in December. You know, this is something that should be an email. You it's send pretty straightforward, isn't it? Saying, really? what are you doing to, to get section 18.4 in Lomloe in action? 
How are you working on that? But, but Would two, you three, like four, some yeah. assistance? You yeah. know, and I, you know, I was saying the different things that I could, you know, help with, mm. um, different areas. I could go into schools. I could do it in English. I could do it in Spanish. I could do it whichever way they wanted, and it would help have people leaving year six um, with, you know, a more sustainable knowledge. You know, mm. they would know about different things. No, no, no dice. Like, just. No dice. That's whatsoever. really disappointing. But I mean, that for me is really what the future has to be. Not not that, but but the, that intention of, exactly. of, of of getting climate change education into schools. And as I don't care whether it's in English or or you know or Church Slavonic, it doesn't really matter because um, English teachers can always pick it up. But my my, my dream, my vision would be the kind of clear vision, or where you get the geography teacher, the physics teacher. Um, uh, maybe biology teacher and English teacher sitting together and 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 having cross curriculum bilingual um, climate engaging with the climate exactly like climate change engagement. That's my vision for schools, and, and it's happening. It's beginning to have, some will do it, but it's got to be large. It's it's got to be through ministries of education, the big numbers, because that's what we need. We need to spread this word, and that's the way to do it. As one of the ways we can do it, I think. Um, but it's a big ask, and as you know as well as I do, governments make statements at the COP, wonderful statements, and then nothing ever happens. Yeah, just or something get happens, but then isn't there is nothing to action it. There's nothing to back yeah. it up. Yeah, they want your so budget say, or something. Yeah, this has changed. By the time we finish, everybody's going to be a green tree hugging wonderful yeah, person absolutely. but we're not going to tell anyone how to do it yeah so that it's going to happen it just fizzles out basically exactly and that really is just virtue bicycle virtue signaling whatever it's meaningless so it, it, it's it's uh, yeah i had mixed feelings about the whole idea of the cop most people do yeah but 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 yeah i, I met a lot of people who went to Glasgow and said, yeah, it, th there was a lot of good stuff kind of in the side, the corridors, the, in the small corridors and the car park kind of conversations with people to say, yeah, we can actually do that. But I think that that has to be the thing. And it's not directly related to ELT, but it's like ELT will jump on the back of that. ELT has always been very good at that and say, okay, well, we can explore this in English or we can, you know, that's the way to access more material about climate because so much of it is in English on, on, online. So we, we can help you, geography teacher, with that. Um, it's that kind of stuff. But it's got to be delegation from above, I think. Well, yeah, ELT is so like malleable and so yeah, reactive. We'll, we'll, we'll fit in. We'll fit in, but because it can tiny. happen in a second, you know, because all of the materials nowadays there are digital options for every, mm. well, not every course book. Yes, there is a process for lots of course books, but supplementary materials. You know, mm. let's look at Twinkle for example. Yeah, you know, they, you know, if, if something happens today, they'll have a worksheet on it tomorrow. Absolutely. You know, the, an ELT can do that. ELT can be flexible and malleable in that way. So if we had this introduced into schools, it would be... In we'll jump on it. We'll jump on it. That's a bandwagon. We will be straight Absolutely. on so it. Absolutely. But it's ministries of education and their national curricula have got to do the heavy lifting on this. They've got to be the ones to say, we're going to not just make these vacuous statements, but we're going to drive this. And sometimes it may just come down to an individual minister who so says, I'm going to do this, even if yeah. they're doing it for their political legacy. I don't care. Um, just do it. Exactly. No, but there's, and, and there are countries where that is the case, I think. But but it it, it it's slow. And no one knows how long we've got left. But I do genuinely believe getting climate change education into schools and getting kids angry yeah. is 
the way to do it. Exactly. Um, and, and angry rather than anxious. So that's the thing. Because everyone's like, oh, but eco-anxiety. That's a thing. Don't get me wrong. It's oh, a right, massive it thing. A thing. But if there's the training from the teachers, um, you know, to have the, the, the ways of dealing with it and the ways of, you know, protecting mental well-being of students and helping them turn that anxiety into agency then it's you know you need a bit of eco-anxiety to, to be able to get i angry. think you do i mean you go to you know someone like water aid their, their website they got some very stark statistics there about the number of uh, children who are dying basically on a daily basis because of lack of clean water and a lot of that is just you know attributed directly to uh changing climate um either flooding or, or drought Either way, it has an impact. And I think sometimes sharing those numbers, saying, do you really actually understand that that's all of this class will be dead today? Think about that for a minute. Say it's a teacher. Why? Really? Yeah, all of this class. Well, that, that was something that again. That sort of that, stuff, you know. Yeah, I mentioned to my to my students that around 100, that my, the students I was at the school, around 100,000 mammals a year die because of plastic in the ocean, mm. simply because of plastic, you know, not any of the other the factors. And I said, that's about the population of Los Hermanos, which is a village nearby us. And I was like, imagine them just all dying just Stop. in one year because of plastic. Just all gone. And they were just like, whoa. Suddenly, like, the numbers became real. Yeah, and I think I, I, I get the eco-anxiety thing too, but I think we need we sometimes we need not to shock people, but it's, we need to, I keep saying this, we need to make people angry. And, and what stark statistics... Not necessarily graphics, though sometimes images do the trick, as long as we use them sensibly and we're aware of the age and the intellectual maturity of the people we're working with. I'm not suggesting you show dead polar bears to primary kids. But, you know, to to a 17-year-old who's a bit cynical about it, oh, I like polar bears, that's not good, is it? Yeah. So maybe we do need, I don't know, but 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 I think we need to, We need, but ultimately, as I say, I think it's international governmental action or trans-governmental action. And... Um, I hope that organisations like the European Union or ASEAN or the Africa Union would be, maybe they are embracing, I think the EU probably is embracing, that all their members will be required to. Yeah. Um, a lot of European countries do have climate change built, built in or are building it as even the UK now. Um, but I think that, that that's the road to go down. Um, it's, it's quite funny you say that, actually, because I, I did a, a kind of a short series with, with a number of young activists mm. um, it was called Activating Activism. Um, and I've got all the interviews up there. And, and I asked all of them, you know, what what do you think needs to change? And most of them said we need to have climate change in like cross-curricular. You know, we need to be so, talking about it in history, in geography, in... Virtually every back, subject. <laughs> exactly. Looking back to the moments, for example, in history, you know, we can look back to let's talk dig for victory okay so look at the environmental impact that would have now um but also the the advent of plastic you know look at what's happened to the climate since then and just simply look at the, the statistic of you know how much the earth has warmed since then how much um oil has been used on plastic in that time and use it in every single subject because everything we do has an impact yeah i say culture you know film literature all this stuff um, does, but yeah, it, it, but that is something that, while bottom-up action, you know, the, the smaller projects are fantastic and they're really inspiring. Ultimately, it's got to be top-down and heavily 
heavily kicked into place, I think, which some countries I think are doing. Others, you got the Spanish model where it's, oh, yeah, we'll do it. We're going to do this, but we're not really going to tell you how because we're probably not actually going to do it. We don't really know how to either. Yeah, but it so looks good. We'll leave it for the next 10 years or something. Yeah, well, so, uh, so yeah, I think that that has to be the way forwards. Um, and organizations, I suppose, like the British Council, um, you know, um, UNESCO, these organizations have a role, I think, in which, which they take to to kind of drive this forward with the, with the stakeholders they work with. Excellent. Right then, Christopher, um, we've come to the end. Now, obviously, the, the first 11 minutes were very interesting. Um, yeah, because I, I, I could see you looking slightly nervous on, on uh, oh, the benefits of listeners. I could see you on, see how you're on Zoom. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I was I was I was very nervous. Um, as I say, it, it's not happened before. So well, you like, sorted it anyway. Whatever. I was, it was suddenly panicking. Um, but you know, so so for anybody who wants to listen to the news, there is a recording of that, but it's a separate recording. Um, it's the one that I had to abandon before I restarted this one. Um, Christopher, it's been lovely. Well, it's been a pleasure. I mean, we could probably bang on about this for hours, but um, I think I definitely might, could. But I've got some start... books that I need to return to the library. Oh, well, that's that, that, that's a nice traditional old school task, isn't there it? You it go. Really is. There you go. Not well, switching I'm going, off I'm going a Kindle tomorrow. You so, like you said, well, have a have a lovely trip to to Rome. You go, you're going to Rome. Yeah, okay. you're going to Rome, and and when we're there, we will do as the Romans do. Exactly. Which is what do they do? I, I hope it's eat pizza. Drive furiously and peep their cars at each other quite a lot. Exactly. Yes, I'm going to try and avoid driving. Um, but yeah, I, I, I will moment. hopefully eat pizza. Yes, um, I think you probably will, yes. Well, so have thank fun you. there. It's been a pleasure and um, I shall be in touch with you soon, I'm quite sure. You will indeed. Thank you so much. Thanks for okay. listening, everybody. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, I will speak to you all very soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.